This is the Disciple Makers Podcast by Discipleship.org. This is Season 7, and every week this season, we'll bring you fresh content about making disciples. Discipleship.org brings together like-minded organizations, and our main goal in everything we do, including this podcast, is to help you become a Jesus-style disciple maker. We're about to get into some content from the organization called Legacy Disciple, and their track at the National Disciple Making Forum called Making Disciples in the City. When making disciples in the hustle bustle of the city, among other places, we're often tempted to think that we have to just add discipleship on top of everything else we're already doing. Well, to help us understand how this is not true, but that we can actually just invite along people, as author Jason Dukes has written, we have an ebook for you called Inviting Along. Download this free resource at discipleship.org slash ebooks. In it, Jason Dukes talks about the five shifts to help you move from informational to relational disciple making. Download this ebook at discipleship.org slash ebooks. Now for today's episode. We're featuring Legacy Disciples track session called Make Disciples of All with Brian Dye as the speaker. Hi, welcome everybody again. Uh, so just a quick background of who I am. Uh, Brian grew up in uh, in a multi-ethnic community of Chicago called Hummel Park. Uh, my grandmother's Puerto Rican. Uh, one of my grandmothers is Puerto Rican. Uh, then I got white. So I grew up in a neighborhood that was Puerto Rican and African American. So like growing up, I just, I didn't know who I was. Like I, I wasn't, wasn't white enough, wasn't Puerto Rican enough, and wasn't black at all. So, um, but but again, just kind of ended up being this kind of bridge to different cultures. Uh, could kind of kind of get a sense of 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 the heart language of different cultures and so forth. Um, been uh, uh, we started. My wife and I have been married for 19 years, and my wife comes from a very rural kind of well, small town, 10,000 people, in northern Wisconsin. Um, she came to college in Chicago area uh, to uh, a Christian college, Trinity International University. Uh, met my best friend that I grew up with, Carlos, who's a Puerto Rican. Um, freshman orientation week, and so they started talking and and, and getting to know each other, and you know, freshman week and so forth. And and you know, he says, you know, I'm Puerto Rican, and she's like, what is that? You know, um, never never like met another ethnicity and so forth. So, so we come from totally different backgrounds. Uh, but God, through my friend Carlos, grew a heart for the city, grew a heart for other cultures. Uh, we ended up growing hearts for each other. Uh, got married uh, 19 years ago and, and been doing ministry in, in the city of Chicago amongst different people groups, amongst different cultures, um, socioeconomic groups, and so forth. So, uh, in 2007, we, we had a heart to raise up leaders from within churches across the city to grow as disciples and make disciples, realizing that there, there, there wasn't a whole lot of conferences and training resources and, and so forth for the urban context. Um, and, and, and we knew that, you know, for, for, the, for the church to really be engaged, it needs to move beyond just the staff, paid staff, right? Just to those who've been in seminary or Bible school. While that's great to have those people, um, we need everyone in the pew to be equipped to, to, again, be disciples who make disciples. So we started this conference called the Legacy Conference um, in 2007. 
Um, and we had about 350 people at the first one, and, and every year it kind of grew up to you know recent years about 1,800 people who come, uh, mostly millennial and Gen Zers, so kind of you know 18 to 35 kind of range, um, and that's how I met Paul. Paul came to that conference from from Southern Florida uh, because of some of his favorite Christian hip hop artists were there. Um, and uh, so, so we would have people who come from all over the, the country and even, even the world who would come to this conference, again, to, with this hunger, with this calling to, to be equipped. And, and most of the, again, the people who come are, are lay leaders, regular people. Our conference is about, I would say, 55% African-American, about you know, 30%, about 25% white, about 25% Latino, so, somewhere in that ballpark, about 5% Asian. Um, so it's a, it's a pretty diverse conference. We have diverse ministers at it. Um, we have urban, suburban, rural, we, again, different different denominations and whatnot. Out of that, we started a house church movement in 2000, end of 2008, really with the heart of how do we, how do we uh, create a church environment that, that is cross-cultural, that, that people are in each other's lives, we're, we're eating the same food. We're loving on each other. We're spending time together. We're ministering to our communities together. So we started that with about uh, a dozen people at the end of 2008, and then we planted uh, 14 house churches over the years um, in different parts of the city, from middle class to, to poor um, to, to uh, diverse communities to very segregated communities and so forth. And one Sunday a month, we all gather together. And that church, again, is is pretty much as diverse as the conference is as well. Um, so again, that, that's my heart. It's like, how, how do we, when, when Jesus gives a command in Matthew 28, you know, which which was hit on in the general session yesterday, right? The, the idea, again, go make disciples, you know. But in the midst of that is make disciples of who? All nations, right? All, all people groups is, is, is the idea. So not just, don't think just nations as you're from Russia, you're from, you know, so forth. But like all people groups, people who have different cultures, people who have different languages, right? Revelation 7, this picture of, of, of people worshiping God from every tongue, tribe, nation, right? Is, 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 is why Jesus Christ went to the cross, Right, he didn't just go to the cross for my culture, my people group. Right, he went to to the cross for 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 everyone. So people from every nation, tongue, tribe, every culture will will be worshiping Jesus Christ together. And it's interesting that as as we know, Revelation is a vision that John sees of heaven. Right, and so if if John could recognize that there's people from every nation, tongue, and tribe, how does he recognize that? Maybe talking to them, but but here he he sees a vision. I think. He hears different languages, and I think he sees different color and different physical features. The, the, the point there is, is when we go to heaven, we don't all become one culture. We don't all speak the same language. We don't all eat the same food, right? Like heaven is going to be a potluck with, with, with some, some baked macaroni, some collard greens, right? Um, some casserole, you know, like, like what, whatever food, right? Every language is going to be spoken up there, right? Um, this, this is the beauty of, of heaven, is that people, again, who are different are not going to lose their differences. 
but who are still going to worship the same king together. And so often our conferences and our churches tend to take on one culture, one people group. In my mind, because it's easiest to do that. Right? You get one worship band that the majority of people like. Right? You, you, you get speakers that the majority of people listen to already. Right? Um, you, it's, it's easy to be amongst people who vote like you do, <laughs> who think like you do, who, who, who reason like you do, right? But now when we get around people who are different than us, that becomes a little more complicated. And so, what? How can you be a Christian? You're not Republican. Or how can you be a Christian? You're not Democrat, right? And, and we, we throw bombs at the other side, right? When, when you sit down and you realize on both sides, I understand why there's Christians on both sides, you know? Um, both are, are, are concerned about things that they should be concerned about. Um, so for, for a, a, a white Christian who tends to be Republican, right, it's, well, abortion is a big deal. A million babies are aborted every year. We should be concerned about these, these lives that have, have no voice, right? And you have the black Christians on this side who are like, yeah, that's, that is important. But what happens if this baby is born, and 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 now they're they're segregated, now they're 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 coming into a world where where they're pushed down, where they're marginalized, right, where they're not cared for. So, right. But but again, unless we're talking, right, we we don't understand that, right? Um, why why do you why do you why do you worship so loud? <laughs> I just want to be contemplative, right? I want to. I want to dwell upon my. On this side, why are y'all so quiet, <laughs> right? Why don't y'all say amen at all, right? Why don't y'all clap? Like if it acts, it seems like you guys don't really love this God that you say you love, right? Both are true, you know. I, I I've heard that you know white people say amen by by their notes. You know, um, black people say amen by their voice. You know, um, again, we, we just we're wired differently, and neither one is right or wrong. It's it's beauty in all of it, right? And again, like you know, my my Thanksgiving dinner is is amazing because I I have Mexican, Puerto Rican, black, white, all in my family. Right, when we all come together, I mean, again, there's everything, and 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 it's all good, right? I can't imagine like being at Thanksgiving with just kind of one ethnic food. You know, it's like doesn't that get boring? You know, after a while. Um, but again, the kingdom of God is like, yo, let's bring it all together. Let's celebrate our differences, right? So in the Great Commission again, Matthew twenty-eight. Oftentimes, eighteen through twenty is read and is talked about, right? Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them. To observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you, right, to the end of the age. But right before that, if you start before that, verse 16. Look at verse 16. Matthew 28. Now, the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. I want to I focus on that verse for a little bit. Now the 11 disciples, right? Now we understand disciples are, are people who follow, right? They're not just people who learn. They're the people who watch. Jesus invited people to follow his life. For three years, 
they, 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 they went everywhere Jesus went. They heard his teachings, but they saw his life as well, right? They saw how he cared for the poor. They saw how he cared for the blind, how, how he fed the hungry, right? How, how he taught the truth um, to, to anybody who would listen. So there's 11 disciples. Why? Because, again, Judas, right, is now betrayed and, and, and hung himself and so forth. So there's 11 disciples. But where do they go? To Galilee, right? To the mountain in Galilee to which Jesus directed them. Why? why? Now, remember, J- Jerusalem, right, is where Jesus died, was hung on the cross and buried, right, and rose again. All the disciples were in Jerusalem because that's where Jesus took them to, right? Um, why did Jesus tell them to go to Galilee? Because really from Jerusalem, which, which if this is Israel, I'm not an artist, but this is the Dead Sea, the Sea of Galilee, that's the River Jordan, right? Jerusalem is somewhere around here, right? The mountain in Galilee is, is, is somewhere up here, right? Like right there, that's a three-day walk, okay? A three-day walk. Why does Jesus not meet with them in Jerusalem? Like, why does he say, go, go to Jerusalem? To the mountain in Galilee, that's where I'm going to meet with you. That's where I'm going to give you my, my, my last orders. Well, what he's doing is he's telling them to go home. This, this is, is where they were from, right here. If, you, if you've read the Old Testament, you, you realize that there's a divided kingdom, right? Um, the southern kingdom, which is called what? Judah. And then this was called Israel. Um, but then later became known as Galilee. Okay? So what happened is, right, there were a lot of bad kings in both of these, but all these were bad kings. These had some good kings, right? And mostly bad kings, right? So God sends his final judgment upon Galilee, or upon Israel at the time, right? Assyrian captivity, right? The Assyrians come in and they, they take all the people and, and take them to, to Assyria, right? And then Babylon does the same thing. Um, so what you had, you had this whole area became Jewless. All the, the people of God were gone from this area, okay? So what do you think happened? Well, Gentiles would come, right? From as Assyrians took people, they kind of got rid of people they didn't want. As the Babylonians took people, they got rid of people they didn't want, right? So this land became filled with Gentiles, okay? This is why the New Testament calls it the land of Gentiles, Galilee, the land of Gentiles, okay? So, so again, you have Jews living in the southern kingdom, and Jerusalem is where the temple is, is where the priests are, is where all the worship happens, Right? It's where people get trained for ministry, so forth. This is the place where their schools teach the, the, the Word of God. This is where they have the same value system as they have, right? Um, this is where, where people look like them, they act like them, they talk like them. Over there, that's across the train tracks, right? That's across the way. That's on the other side of the city, Okay. So what you had is about a hundred or so years before Jesus Christ even came, you had a revolt, the Maccabean revolt. Um, the Maccabeans fought a war and so forth, and then their their vision was to reclaim this land back for God. Okay, let's reclaim this land back for God. In their mindset, it wasn't okay. Let's go to the Gentiles and evangelize. Let's go love them. Let's go interact with them. It was. No, no, they need to get out of here. <laughs> we need to make 
Galilee great again. That was kind of a bad joke, but uh, some people might have got it. Um, like, we, we, we need to reclaim this land for us, okay? Um, and so they started settlements. Some of those settlements, Nazareth, Capernaum. If you look in the Old Testament for those towns, they're not there. Because they, they literally popped up about 100 years before Jesus. Again, as the Jews wanted to reclaim this land for, 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 for God. Right? Um, and so they started all these settlements. And, and again, so you have these settlements of Jews who, again, spoke the same language, who loved the same God, who, who ate the same foods, who looked the same, who voted the same, so forth. Right? So whenever you see Jesus talking about going across the sea, he would go to the land of the Gentiles. He, he, would, he would minister to people who weren't. So here you had Jewish, on this side of the Sea of Galilee, you had Jewish settlements, Capernaum, Nazareth, and so forth. On this side, you had Gentiles. Um, and then you had Gentiles up here, and you had Gentiles kind of sprinkled around throughout. Again, the pagans, those who worship a different God, those who, who act different than us, those who look different than us. So by Jesus telling them, Hey, guys, I want you to go back to Galilee. All the disciples, except one, were from Galilee. Which one was it? Judas. Judas was the only one. That's kind of crazy. But, so Judas is the only one who's from here. The rest were from Galilee. Why would Jesus select 11 of his 12 disciples from Galilee? I think he understood that they had within their DNA even though they try to abstain, even though they try to remove themselves from the Gentiles, they still had to interact with them. They still had some cross-cultural experience in their lives. They would have ran into regularly Gentiles who didn't worship the same God, eat the same, so forth, right? So he, he takes his disciples from the land of the Gentiles, from Galilee, right? And now he sends them back there. As he gives the Great Commission, I think what he wants them to do, he takes them to a mountain where you could see all around you. Look over there where the Gentiles live. Look over there where the Gentiles live. Look over there where the Gentiles live. Go make disciples of all nations, of all people groups, right? I think that's why Jesus Christ calls them back to the mountains so that they would have a visual sight again of what Jesus Christ was calling them to do. So that again, the vision of revelation might come to fruition. That again, people from every nation, tongue, and tribe will worship the Lamb who was slain. Now, was this something new with Jesus? Did Jesus come on the scene and, 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 and kind of change the, the flow of what God wanted to do with his people in the beginning? I would say no, because Genesis 12 happens, right? Where God appears to Abraham, known as Abram at the time, and he says, I'm going to make you a great nation, right? Um, I'm going to bless you, right? Now, what does he say at the end of verse 3 of Genesis chapter 12? If, if, maybe you want to turn there, Genesis 12. I'll read from verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and wash and your father's house to the land I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great. So that what? You will be a blessing. 
I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the peoples or the families of the earth shall be blessed. All the different peoples, all the different nations, all the different ethnicities, all the different cultures will be blessed, right? Through you, Abram. God's heart was never that Israel would be a, a kingdom that's set apart from everybody else and, and, and does their own thing. And so, no, no, wherever you go, be a blessing to those who are different than you. And, and Galatians tells us primarily that the blessing is the gospel message. Okay? It's, it's, it's not as we often interpret it today, blessing being like a material blessing, you know? No, it, it's the gospel. Take the gospel everywhere you go. All right? Um, now, what happens in the very next passage? Just look at your heading, verse, right above verse 10. Abraham and Sarai go where? To Egypt. Could someone, someone give me a synopsis of that story? What happens? Abram is walking into Egypt, into this mighty nation of, of this day and age, right? It's just Abraham, Abram and Sarai and and whoever's with them, they don't have a huge following right now. They don't have a, have a huge family right now. They have no kids, right? So it's really just them. They're coming into this land. And, and what does Abram say of, to Sarai? Yeah. Hey, hey, girl, you fine, you know? And Pharaoh likes to take fine women to himself, right? And so what I want you to do is lie. Say you're my sister, which was a half-truth. It wasn't a... Was it a full lie? We might call it a, a, a little lie, right? Um, because, yeah. Um, so tell them you're, you're my, my sister. Why? why? Why would he do that? Is it to protect his wife? He was protecting himself. He, he would rather save his own life than to save his wife from, from becoming a sex object for another king. That's crazy. God just finished telling him, go and be a blessing to the nations. And instead of being a blessing to the nations, he, 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 he tries to be a blessing for himself. He, 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 he saves himself, right? Again, man, if, if, I, if I go to these different people groups, like, ah, it's, there's going to be tension, there's going to be difficulty, they're not going to, you know, they don't vote like I do, they don't think like I do, they... I don't speak their language, whatever it is, right? We have our worries. and So it's easier for me just to stay away, right? Again, Abram was supposed to go to be a blessing. Imagine if he did what God commanded him to do. Imagine if instead of going there lying, he, and, 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 and maybe, maybe Pharaoh sends his people to come get his wife. Maybe Abram now would, would speak the truth. Hey, we will serve you in any way we can, except that way. <laughs> You're not going to take my wife. My God tells me to be committed to my wife, to protect my wife, right? Let, oh, let, let me hear, tell us more about this God that you worship. Imagine if salvation came. Imagine if revival came to Egypt. It probably would have saved them for 400 years of slavery. Like, we never know how our disobedience from fulfilling God's commands will lead to destruction down the road. <laughs> what if? Because to me, if, if God just gave him this command, I, I can't help but think that if he was obedient to that command, the fruit would have came from that. 
There could have been revival to, amongst Egypt. <laughs> and yet instead, there's, there's not. Egypt continues to be a pagan land who worships all these moon gods and frogs and so forth, right? Who will then later on enslave the people of God. That is what what we see happens again when we when we don't cross the railroad tracks. When we when we don't go to the other side of town and, and offer hope. We live in a world today, in a country today that's more seems to be more divided than ever before. And you know who I think is to blame for it? Christians. We are. Because we're just as divided as the, the world is. What Martin Luther King said 60 years ago is true today. The 11 o'clock hour is the most segregated hour ever. Our, our, our workplaces aren't even as seg- segregated as our churches are. Our college campuses aren't even as seg- segregated as our churches are. Like our churches are segregated. Why? Again, because it's easy. It's easy to do. And so, so we're being disobedient to God's commands, and, and now we're seeing the fruit of it. Where, where there's an, nothing but animosity in politics and race issues and so forth. Again, because we're not sitting at the same table. We're not having conversations about it. And again, it doesn't mean that we're all going to see stuff eye to eye, but there's one thing to be able to understand someone's point of view. Right? Um. So that's, that's again, Abram and, and Sarai. And, and Acts 1.8, Jesus is giving the command to his disciples, right? You will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of the world. That's his last words right before he, he ascends back into heaven, right? You will be my witnesses to, to Jerusalem, your local context, people who are like you. Don't forsake that, right? To Judea, those who are on the other side of the tracks that you kind of look down upon, those in Samaria who you really hate, you, you, you avoid them at all costs, right? To the ends of the world, those people that you have no relationship with at all, right? You'll be my witnesses to all these peoples, right? Well, what, what happens? <laughs> the early church stays in Jerusalem. Why? Because it's easy to stay in Jerusalem. It's easy to stay amongst people who, again, act like me, talk like me, think like me, right? So what does God do to get them to follow his command? Sends persecution. Sends persecution. Like, guys, I told you, you could have left on your own accord, but now I guess I'll I'll put a little fire under your butt, butt, right? Um, Like, you will now be my witnesses, to the ends of the world, right? And the gospel goes forth. Um, but again, against the initial desire of his people. Um, so again, what keeps people from fulfilling God's command to make disciples of all, to make disciples of all people groups? I think sometimes it's fear. Again, what, what are they going to think, right? Um, how's this going to go? You know, so forth. Uh, I think some of it is idolatry of culture. That we think that our culture is God's culture. We think when we get to heaven, all the worship songs will be Chris Tomlin. You know, 
or all the songs are going to be Fred Hammond uh, or whatever culture, again, we are. We think all the food is going to be our food. We think the language, the heavenly language is going to be our language. Right? We have an idolatry of our culture. And again, I'm not saying this in the sense that culture is good. All of our cultures are good. But it's, it's better when, when it's all lumped in together and celebrated. And we see, wow, I really love that about your culture, about, about who you are, how God has wired you. Like God is creative in that. Like the, 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 the leaves of the tree, right? They're so beautiful in the fall, if you live in a colder climate, right? Where, where the, the leaves start to change colors. There's something about that, right? Um, but the beauty of God's diversity, His creativity. Um, so, you know, I get people ask me all the time, well, how do you get such a diverse conference? How do you get diverse churches and so forth? And, and honestly, my answer is always the same. <laughs> our organizations, our churches, our conferences will only be as diverse as our relationships are. If, 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 if it's a white church who wants to become diverse, you're not going to become diverse by hiring a black worship pastor. If you're a black church, right, you're not going to become diverse by hiring a, a, a white worship pastor, right? <laughs> it, it, it can't just be, let's change, let's change some chairs around, you know, on Sunday mornings. It has to be, who's, who's at your dinner table throughout the week, right? Who are you interacting with? Who are you connecting with, right? Who are you grabbing coffee with? Who, who are you talking about stuff with, right? Um, we have to be people, again, who, who in our context, again, seek to love everybody, including those who are different than us and who are intentional with that. So as we see Jesus' ministry, you read the Gospels, man, he's, he's ministered to everybody. He ministers to Jews, but he also ministers to, to the demonic gathering across the sea, Right? In Matthew 8, he also um, ministers to the Samaritan leper in Luke 17 when, when he heals 10 lepers, right? And only one comes back and thanks them. The one that comes back was the only Gentile out of the 10. His own people didn't come back and thank him. The Gentile did. The, the whole point is like, you know, the one you would least expect would come and thank you, came and thanked him, right? The, the 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 story of the good Samaritan, right? It's 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 the one that that the Jews would never have thought would be the one to help the person on the road. You would think the the religious leaders who were of your people would help your person laying along the road, but it's your enemy that helps. Um, the woman at the well, in John four, right? Samaria again was a place that Jews. Samaria's in the middle here. Jews would literally walk around Samaria rather than go through it. Because to them, Samaritans were the worst. Like, um, okay, all those other people, they're Gentiles, but Samaritans used to be us. And they intermarried. And they created all these interculture people who, who worship all these different gods. Um, so they hated them. But Jesus ministered to the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. Uh, in Matthew 15, the Canaanite woman's daughter is healed. Uh, in Matthew 8, the, the centurion's servant, the Roman centurion's servant is healed. Uh, 
In John 12, you have Greeks who come to Jesus, Gentiles who come to Jesus. Again, you see over and over again, Jesus ministering, not to just his own, but to anybody who he came in contact with. And he had the harsh conversations, even with one woman, right? Where he, he has a, he has a, a conversation that got a little difficult. It's, you know, he's like, yo, I came for the Jews first, right? She's like, but can I even eat from the crumbs of your table? That's not the... That's kind of a, when you read that passage, it's kind of like an awkward conversation, right? Uh, but it was it was it was showing the, the cultural tension of the day, um, and so sometimes those those tough conversations will happen, right? Uh, but are we willing to have those conversations? So, um, what I did is I just created a, a brief acronym just to just to help in my own mind think through, you know. How can I be intentional in reaching all people groups, right? And reaching people who are different than me. And hopefully this is beneficial to you as well. So L, I would say learn. First, learn. Be a learner. Um, Cross the sea. (laughs) Cross the railroad tracks, right? Um, Sit down. Grab coffee with someone who's different than you. You might vote one way. And you know someone at work votes a whole nother different way. A, rather than just fighting about this on Facebook, how about I take you out for coffee? And, and let, me, let me ask you questions and hear from you why you vote like this as a Christian, you know? Um, let, let, me, let me ask you about your fam- family dynamics. Let me, let me ask you about your traditions. Let me, let me ask you about your culture. You know, would you would you mind if I if if, if I come to your house and, and you make me an ethnic meal that that, that you have? Um, be a learner, get a passport, travel to another country. You know, the more our eyes are open to again, when man, I even even growing up in the hood of of Chicago, like it, it was it was, and, and then I went to to a, a, a predominantly white Christian college. Uh, kind of more middle class families, right? So for me, as a white person who grew up in the hood, going to that was a cross cultural experience. It was like, yo, what the heck? Where am I? Right? It's like, literally, I came to college with trash bags of my stuff in it, right? And I'm, and I'm, and and, and I, I took the Greyhound, you know. And then I'm seeing all my, all these other students who come to college, and their parents are dropping them off in nice cars, and they all have suitcases and luggage and. You know, and then and then, uh, you know, uh, learning about country music. And I'm like, what is this? You know, it's like, why would you guys do this to yourselves? Right. Um, and, and then you go to the cafeteria and you're like, what is a casserole? You know. But over time, it, it's 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 coming into that context. It's 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 learning. Not everyone's like me. Not everyone was raised like I was. Not everyone eats the same foods or listens to the same type of music. And, and even though I may not listen to country at the end of the day, I could appreciate some of the things about country music, maybe. Maybe. Um, right? It's like, again, be a learner. But, but then, and then uh, I went to China a few years ago, and I've been back three times. Um, it's a whole nother world. 
And, you know, as has we, we kind of, at least I create these caricatures of, of Chinese, right? They're all, they all play the piano. They're all engineers. They're all super smart, right? Um, that's kind of the caricature that I've created in my mind. But then I go to China and I start to understand some of why that happens and, and, and why, yeah, it's, there's a, there was a one-child rule, right? One-child law where parents could only have one kid. And so you want to make sure that your kid is able to take care of you because you only have one shot at it, right? And so you, you, you beat your kid, you, not literally beat them, some do, I'm sure, but you like push them, right, to, to be the best, to be the smartest, to be the brightest, and so forth. And then you can understand, man, the tension that a Chinese student has of, of this, this unrealistic expectation that the parent holds over them, right? Like, like for me, that, that opened up my eyes. I'm like, yo, it helps me understand the Chinese culture in a deeper way that I didn't understand before. Um, and again, you know, as, as I, uh, in Chicago, as, as I started going to uh, ethnic restaurants of, of, of Middle Eastern people and started getting to know them and hearing their stories and, and, and learning, man, you know, sometimes here in America, we have a certain view of, of, of that kind of people, right? And realize, yo, they're people just like us. But none of them ever get invited to an American's house. And so we're, we're, we're isolating them as they come to our country. <laughs> right? So, so again, be a learner. Look for opportunities, right? To, to, to go to ethnic restaurants, to, to, to grab coffee with someone who's different than you, right? Take advantage of those opportunities. Um, again, be a learner, though, right? Not, a, not a, a, a fighter, right? Not to try to prove that your way is the right way. And again, at the end of the day, you might disagree about certain things. That's okay. But at least be able to know their perspective and why. And then E, I would say engage and empathize. I try to fit two words in here, right? So we already talked a little bit about engage, right? As, as you learn, engage with people, right? Don't just read books. Don't just... You know, read articles, but it actually engage with people, right? But then through that, like, start to empathize with them. You know, what what are their heart concerns, right? Why do they vote like this? Why do they think like this? Why do they act like this, right? Again, why are Chinese parents so hard and demanding on their children? Wow. Okay, now I see why they are. Even though I, I I don't think that makes it right, right? But I could understand that they're concerned about when they become old. They're concerned about who's going to care for them. Who's going to pay their bills, right? Who's going to serve them? Who's going to love on them? Um, so when you begin to empathize, right? Oh, I could see why this person thinks police brutality is, is an issue. Because the re- reality, I don't know where everyone falls in this room, but for many of people in America, police have always been friendly. If, if they pull you over, it's because you did something. You, you were speeding when you shouldn't have, and you, you, know, you realize that you deserve that ticket, right? But for a certain population of our country, 
it's the opposite. Where nine out of ten times they're pulled over, it's not because of something they did. It's because of who they are. Um, and, and that's a reality, right? And so, so in, in, in a certain part of America, when they hear of this tension with police, well, if your paradigm is police are always good and friendly and nice and kind, and they only pulled you over, they only, you only got in trouble when you did something, then automatically the assumption is, well, they must have done something wrong, right? But to sit down with people and hear their stories, you know, tell me your interaction with police. How has it been? I could tell you, <laughs> growing up in the hood, that I've been cussed at by police. I've had guns pointed at me by police. I've been handcuffed, uh, put in the back of a police car, taken to the station for nothing. And when I ask the officer to check my ID, which is in my back pocket, he cusses me out and tells me to shut the fuck up. Right? Um, and I'm a white guy. If, if immigration, right? You're like, yo, we just want a wall to keep our people safe, right? Which might be a legitimate concern, right? But sitting down with someone, hearing their story of how their town was overrun by the cartel and people were being killed for not participating with the cartel. They were forced to work for the cartel or be killed. You're a father with three kids. What do you do? Do you stay? And see your wife and children beheaded before you are finally? Or do you cross a border illegally? Right? Again, we might end up with different ideas of policy still at the end of the day. But when you hear someone's story, when you can empathize with them, it changes us. Right. Um, So, again, that doesn't happen over social media, guys. (laughs) That doesn't happen through our media, whatever you listen, whether you listen to Fox, MSNBC, CNN, whatever. Right. Like media is is continuing to divide us. The only thing that's going to bring us together is sitting at a table together and having conversations. Right. so again, so learn to empathize, right? Um, and then I would say advocate. You know, if someone comes to me and says, I was just raped by someone last night. And I just ask them a few questions. Oh, okay, tell me about how that happened. And, and I'm like... I empathize with them. I'm like, I feel horrible about that. I couldn't even imagine what it's like to be raped, right? And then I'm just like, well, I'm praying for you. It's like, no, like maybe there's something I could do, right? Maybe it's, it's offering aid. Let's go to the police station together, right? I'll support you in this, right? Maybe it's, 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 it's her pastor who raped her, right? And, and everyone else will say, no, he would never do that. And I'm advocating on her behalf, right? No, I, I think she's speaking the truth there, right? Like, how do we advocate for people 
who may feel voiceless to the rest of the world. Um, and I think there's some examples in scriptures of this. Jesus comes into the temple, and their money changers have set up their tables. Jesus overturns the tables. Part of that is because, again, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all. What? Oftentimes the focus is because, well, they were using the temple for things I wasn't intended to be for. Well, that's not really the case. Because really they were offering a service to the Jews, to the people of God who would come, who needed a sacrifice. Right, And they couldn't travel with the sacrifice, so they brought money and they, they bought the sacrifice at the temple. Right, The real issue is that where they set the tables up was in the court of the Gentiles. As you walk to the temple, there's the outer ring, which is the court of the Gentiles. All nations, all people groups were invited into that space. When you go inside and now, out, when you walk through that court and you walk into the temple, there's one, the outer court, which women were invited into. If you're a Jewish woman, you could walk past the court of Gentiles and you could walk into this space. And then there's another room where only the Jewish men were allowed. And then there was the, the inner where only the high priest was allowed once a year, so forth, right? So what was happening is that... <laughs> The people of God in their worship, in their, in their good intentions of worship, were keeping Gentiles who wanted to worship from their space of worship. You are not welcome here. Is what they, were, they weren't saying that verbally, but it's, it's what the practices were saying, right? And I, I think we could do this in our church worship, right? It's like, oh, we don't tell people from other cultures they can't come. Well, the way you create your service tells them that they can't come. This is not for you, right? Um, and so Jesus, again, to advocate for the Gentiles who should be allowed to worship in that court, overturns the tables. And we're like, yo, Jesus, ain't that a little too much, Jesus? Couldn't you just, you know, abide by the law? And he, he, he got angry. And he advocated for the Gentiles um, to be able to worship. Um, John the Baptist. Why does John the Baptist get beheaded? Should be sleeping with another woman, shouldn't he? Yeah. And I think at the end of the day, he was advocating for this wife. You know, back in the day, a king would... Kings would just kind of trade each other's wives and trade each other's daughters, right? As as kind of a power thing, right? Uh, and so here, Herod has his brother's wife, right? Uh, to basically to show that he's the stronger, he's the the greater of the of of the rulers of this day and age, right? And here's this poor woman who's just tossed from husband to husband, you know? Because again, in that society, she was second class. She becomes an object uh, for for the king, for Herod. And and John the Baptist says, "This is not right. You can't do this, Herod." He spoke to the authority, and and I know a lot of times I, I've heard anywhere on social media like, "Yo, Romans thirteen, you gotta you gotta, you know, 
respect the ruling authority. And yeah, there's there's an idea. Yeah, we do need respect. But when 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 people are being taken advantage of by a ruler who's an authority, whether they've been voted for or not, we need to advocate for those who are taken advantage of. So um, this is another example. Um, Matthew 23, the woe statements that Jesus gives to the Pharisees. He says, woe are you, the religious leaders, right, who, who hold all these standards up for people to follow that they can't keep. You don't even keep yourself. Who's he advocating for? For those who aren't the religious leaders, for, for the everyday Jew who feels burdened by this weight that they can't keep. And Jesus is advocating for them. He, as a person, who a rabbi who's a respected religious leader, goes to a place that the other people couldn't go and speaks to the Pharisees in a way that they couldn't speak to the Pharisees. And he says, woe is you guys. How are you making these people hold on to standards that you don't even keep yourself? Galatians 2, another example. Peter is hanging out with his Gentile brothers and sisters. They're eating some pork. Probably not. I don't know. But right, he's, he's hanging out with them. But then some of his brothers who, who are Judaizers, who, who didn't think that Jews, even though you're Christians, should be hanging out with Gentiles who are Christians, came into the room. What does Peter do? He dips out. He's like, oh, oh guys, I got to go. You know, I got a phone call. Let me take this real quick, all right? Um, he dips out. If you're a Gentile believer, you know what's going on. How are you feeling in this moment? Peter, the, the leader of the church, just dipped out on you because he's afraid to be seen by these religious people. How are you feeling? Insignificant. Hurt. Like, yo, I thought things were different between me and you, Peter. I thought we were cool, but obviously we're not. As a young believer, that crushes you. They can walk away from the faith because their spiritual authority walked away from them. What does Paul do when he finds out about this? Hmm? He rebukes him publicly, right? Because it was a public sin that Peter committed. His rebuke is public, right? A private sin rebuked privately. A public sin rebuked publicly, right? Like, yo, Paul knew, yo, these Gentiles, God has a heart for them. He has a care for them. And Peter, what you're doing is anti-gospel. That's, that's the whole point in Genesis, uh, Galatians 2, you, you went against the gospel. You might say, like, what, what do you mean? Like, he didn't really go against the gospel. He never said anything that was anti-gospel. He never, he, never, he never taught false heresy. You know, he never, his actions were anti-gospel. And Paul rebukes him. He advocates for these people who are voiceless, who are hurt, who are broken. To Peter, right? Again, those are some of the examples that uh, that I'm familiar with. But again, where we can, right? Let's be advocates. But that only happens again as we learn, as we as we empathize, right? 
um, as we could understand and so forth. Um, and then I'm going to just say the last pray, right? Pray. My, my wife uh, prays out of, there's a book called Operation World that she prays out of regularly. Uh, if you're not familiar with it, they have an online version. They have a, uh, a printed book as well. But every page is a different people group around the world. And it gives you kind of bullet points of, of, of them, what the culture is like and, and what the religion is and so forth. And that helps my wife just to pray for the nations. And my wife has an amazing heart uh, for the nations of the world. She's really the one who drives us to go to China and, and other places. Um, pray. Pray, pray as, as you hear on the media of, of again, ethnic division, of, of cultural division, right? Pray. You may say, well, I don't live in a town that has any diversity. Okay, well, you, you can at least pray, right? Um, God, heal. <laughs> heal relationships, right? God, I, I pray for, for these people who, um, again, no, no matter no matter what our political stance is, right? We have, there's Kurdish brothers and sisters right now, right? Who, who are in turmoil. Um, and again, we, we could make the case, well, it's not our responsibility and, you know, so forth, right? Um, but we should at least be concerned about those people and pray for them, right? Again, whether we believe there should be a border or not, a wall or not, we can at least pray for those families who, 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 who are suffering and who are in danger, right? Whether, whether we believe this situation, the police acted out of line or not, we can at least pray for the situation, right? And again, instead of going up in arms about, about every, every situation. So hopefully that's helpful. Learn and then engage and empathize. Advocate where you're able to advocate. And, and let's be people who pray. Um, we just got a couple minutes. I think we ended at 11.15, right? Um, any, any final questions or thoughts, um, feedback, pushback? I was, just, I was just thinking at the end, some of the Spirit uh, revealed to me, even with that advocate, uh, taking it a step farther uh, is, you know, really in that Gentile movement in Acts when the Spirit came upon Cornelius. Mm-hmm. You know, who was the Italian, and God had revealed to Peter in that vision, you know, that he was pretty much being racist, you know, and that God accepts every man for every nation. And so, um, I think God just reminded me that even God, you know, was advocating on behalf of that Gentile movement, you know, through the life of Peter, where his eyes were kind of open to that movement. So, I was just something that Spirit kind of gave me with. So. Good. Yeah, there's a lot that we can learn from. Again, my my faith has been greatly blessed by by various cultures and people groups, you know, um, around the world. Even to hear from my brother in Sierra Leone, right, who spoke yesterday. It's like, man, I want to hear more about that, right? It's like, and, and my, my my mind automatically goes to, well, that can that ever happen here? I don't know, because our, our culture, American culture, right, not even talk about race, American culture is so comfortable, right? Like, yo, we need to hear stories like that from other people groups, other cultures to awaken our faith, right? Um, and again, when we go to China and, and we teach something and people are like immediately wanting to put it to practice, I'm like, 
I teach people in America, and they're not that eager to put stuff into practice, right? When they're ready to debate, well, I don't know if you parse that verb right. And, you know, it's like, man. So, so I think our, our faith grows as we, again, see what God's doing in different people groups, different cultures around the world. So, so again, let's be people who, who leap into the cultural mess, right? Um, I would just encourage, too, I, uh, you know, in the area that I live in, it's, it's very different from Chicago or Memphis, where I, I came from last. There was a lot of diversity in people groups, and God took me to a rural context, and my heart for my children is that they would see multiple nationalities in our home and different people, but as I came to the area I'm in now, a lot of the people, I go to India, we plant churches in India, we're making disciples in India, I see this Indian culture, but in the culture I live in, like literally people in the towns I live in won't stop at a certain store because it's owned by an Indian. I mean, it's crazy. And so to to set an example as a pastor and leader, like one of the things God has shown me is I, I, I have to go out of the way to make this a reality for the people around me and even my kids to just stop at the store that the Indian owns and begin to engage in conversation. And so just simplistic. Just just start simplistic. Yeah. Good. We dismiss um Ministry, Legacy Disciple, if you're interested, feel free to check it out. Again, we have a national conference in Chicago. We do regional conferences in New York, Atlanta, Houston, and, and L.A. Um, my email, my social media is Vision Nehemiah. So definitely feel free to stay in touch. I'll, I'll stick around if there's any follow-up questions, but let me pray. Bless you guys. Father, we just pray your blessing upon us as we go forth. Lord God, let us be disciples who make disciples of all nations, of all people groups, of all ethnicities, of of all political parties. Um, Lord God, give us hearts, Lord God, um, that seek to be learners, um, knowing, Lord God, that you are at work in other cultures like you are in, at work in ours. Um, Lord God, let us empathize, Lord God, with, with the hurt and the brokenness, Lord God, in, in other cultures, Lord God. Let us be advocates, Lord God, where we can be. And Lord God, let us pray without ceasing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Disciple Makers Podcast by Discipleship.org. We mentioned at the beginning of this episode a free ebook called Inviting Along by Jason Dukes. Download this at discipleship.org slash ebooks. May the Lord bless you as you make disciples wherever you might find yourself. Until next time.